right, all right. We're back. Debate night. Debate night special recap that everyone watched that everyone knows was a total shit show. Well, everyone respect it. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't. I don't know. It's not. Yeah, it's not good. It's really. It's really. It's just like it makes you think of that the ever that the you know you look at the country and you're like man things are they're just sad <laughs> they're they totally fucked no, but yeah i guess there's not much to really talk about with the content because they just kind of interrupted well trump mostly interrupted biden yeah and then biden didn't look too sharp but he at least it- didn't look bad and i mean he he at least trying to cross his points of where he's at and you know at time he stepped up a little bit when it came to his son and losers in the military um and the conversation that we had with kim and no it was um but once again i think people people have to keep in mind as well i mean the guy does have a speech impediment so i mean there's certain things should be uh ignored in the way you know it's more about the what he's actually the substance of what he's saying yeah so yeah but i mean even there it was like you know i mean we kind of know where he's coming from so it's not really a surprise but yeah disavowing the green new deal is not good in terms of the policy stuff it's obviously better than trump but i mean people i think who listen to the program i think generally know where we're coming from in terms of wanting you know biden to win over trump but yeah i mean no the policies were bad all the way around i mean he because he's trying to walk this line between you know not totally offending though he did i mean i guess at this point they have been totally offending the left wing of the party so yeah really well they're reaching out more to people in the center yeah. And they're reaching out more to Republicans who are kind of like on the sideline and going like, all right, this guy's really whacked out. But maybe by 401k's doing okay right now, you know, and it's like, uh, like I'm, you know, is it short term or long term? Which way do I turn, you know? Because I don't think they're trying to reach out to the left, that's for sure. I mean, even no, the, no. the conversation that he has with Bernie, that's more of like a, trying to get the Bernie supporters to kind of lean that way a little bit. Um, but yeah, I mean, it really, it really emphasizes the fact that, you know, people really have to organize unions have to organize and churches, communities, everybody, everyone, because we're going to need, I mean, in other words, if you watch that debate, you're sitting there thinking one of these two people are going to, one of these two men are going to be running the most powerful country in the world for the next four years. So, you know, who, it definitely matters who's in office, um, not just in the White House, but in the Senate and the House and state offices and uh, governor offices and mayors and all of this. But Obviously, we can only control that every so many years. So it's like really important for people to, you know, get together and organize best they can. And 
Yeah, I don't I don't know what to make of I don't know. I mean, I I wrote on Facebook that I had been watching these debates for a long time. This was even more of a sort of a spectacle and a train wreck than like the original uh Republican primary debates back in 2015 and 2016. So I don't, I just don't think it's good. I mean, I've been having this different kind of perspective on like just thinking as like the country and it's like, it's just not healthy over and over again for people to be witnessing this kind of just total trash. It's just really not, I don't think it's healthy. And then what it stirs up in people, of course, is just the feeds and existing sort of cynicism and nihilism that just kind of permeates. I mean, you have to speak to it because otherwise you sound totally out of touch. I mean, most people see this and, you know, I posted that thing like 40 minutes ago and there's almost 100 people who like it. Well, yeah, because everybody's feeling like really shitty and all I said was, you know, um, that this is just not even really funny anymore, that it's just kind of sad and disgusting, you know. I mean... Obviously, you have to laugh. I mean, that's kind of the flip side. Everybody knows tragedy, and the other side of the coin is comedy. <laughs> but, I mean, you know, to some degree, I feel like we've all been laughing. All of us have laughed at least once, if not many, many times, over the last four or five years watching this take place. I mean, we've also been angry. We've also cried, whatever the case may be. But, you know, it's... Yeah, it, it just, it, it's not good collectively. It's not a good, it's just not good. It's not good for people. It's not good for people's psyche. They're already all fucked up from whatever they've gone through for the last six months. I mean, which could range from, you know, family and friends dying to losing your job to, you know, getting ready to be kicked out of your house and then you're kind of, looking on tv or if people don't watch which i guess you know tens of millions of people watched but even if you're getting these clips online i mean it's just like you're seeing this and you're like okay so my life is really everything is chaotic right now my life is a mess uh i'm very stressed i want what's best for my family i'm worried about my friends and family the future and then boom these are the two guys. One of these two men will be running this country for the next four years. And, you know, yeah, when compared to Donald Trump, Joe Biden looks like a decent yeah. human being. But taken on his own, it's, you know, he's fucking just terrible, especially yeah. for what's needed right now. So, anyway, that's what I'm. That's how I'm feeling. Those are my emotions. <laughs> no, it is no. I mean, absolutely. not even emotions. It's just that that's kind of. I'm just. I'm Observation. just. I'm like almost worn out. And I'm. I told our friend Mike earlier on the phone that I'm, you know, sort of a sucker for spectacles. I always have been. I always watch every single Democratic and Republican debate, primary and general election. You know. I listened to a lot of their speeches on the campaign trail, Republican and Democrat. Um, 
and yeah, I just, I don't think I've ever quite felt how I feel right now, which is just very worn out, very sort of sad for the whole, yeah, the whole country and knowing who's going to pay the, the price on this. You know, either way, it'll, it'll be the poorest of the poor, working class people, yeah. immigrants, women, you know, those are people who are going to get fucked the most. So, oh my God, it's just depressing. It's very depressing. So whoever's listening to this today, I hope <laughs> you're not having a depressing day when you're listening to this, but you know the feeling that we're feeling right now because we're recording this like 15, 20 minutes after the d- debate ended. So it's You all, will be in the same mood. You're probably yeah. in the same mood as you're listening because it's probably tomorrow. Even when you wake yeah. up, you're going to be bummed out. <laughs> yeah. So maybe if you listen to this tomorrow, maybe we'll post two shows tomorrow. And post this one and post one of the ones we have. Well, we'll just post one on tomorrow, one do on Thursday. And we can do one on the evening. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, if you're listening to this and it's tomorrow... And which means when you're listening to this, it'll be Wednesday. And I don't know if they'll have another debate. They already are talking about it on the news. Like the commentators are already saying, like, sh- should Joe Biden do another debate? When we were watching the debates, you know, you had said. Uh, <laughs> I just looked. Yeah, I bet mean, it just yeah, looked like, like uh, this is the last one. Yeah, it looked like it was just messy. It wasn't, you know what I'm saying? Like if they. <clears throat> it was very messy. Yeah, it was extremely messy. <laughs> it's one way to put it. And um, yeah, it just, yeah. I mean, obviously we'll see what's going on with the vice press. Maybe that will kind uh, of. More of a policy up. debate. Yeah. Because Pence and Harris aren't going to yep. yell over each no, other. No, Pence is, yeah, especially Pence. Pence is always quite yeah. fun. <laughs> now he is. It's interesting. I mean, now he is. He a different persona and the media has allowed him to get away with that but if you go back to when he was a regular uh when he was in the house and he was a contributor to uh msnbc on chris matthews program he was like the sort of token right-wing evangelical nut that they would have on the program and debate with him you know like the liberal would debate the right-winger type thing and he was quite bombastic then, and he was not nearly as bombastic as he was before his political career when he was a radio host in <laughs> yeah in Indianapolis. So if people, I don't know to what degree they've gone through the trouble of getting rid of a lot of that stuff, but they used to have tapes of that shit. And uh, he was, you know, quite charismatic. I mean, not charismatic, how do you put it? He was quite flamboyant. You know, so, but he's got a new persona now and he's laid back. Maybe they got him on tranquilizers Maybe. and Harris is not like going to, I think, do that whole thing. I think, yeah, that's going to be where you're going to hear more policy, which then people will start saying, well, why don't these people, I mean, I assume that after people watch the vice presidential debate, people will be like, well, I wish it was these two who were mm-hmm. the the candidates i don't know well and she, if she brings up any trash i mean he's he's obviously gonna have uh, a lot to uh, throw at her as well <laughs> she's a vice president of the guy that she was basically 
Yeah, but that's only like one line, though, you know. Yeah, well, but that was like yeah. that was her up and down, man. That that's what she picked up during the debates, and yeah, but I don't think anybody cares about that anymore. That's kind of the thing I think that most people are. I think what people are these commentators are starting to learn is that the situation is so critical now that nobody cares about. I think this is why Trump is running into walls because he keeps saying stuff like, you know, uh, Kamala was uh you know she fell off real quick she had to get out to her and joe in the debates and like i think for most people at this point they're just like you know just anything but well they're just like dude i'm at home like covid's been going on for six fucking months kids are going back to school nobody knows what the fuck the election's gonna look like nobody knows what the next three months or six months are gonna look like with the cold weather i mean i think that people are just I get the feeling that a lot of people are, have just kind of had it with like any of the petty shit with politics, like any of the kind of like, there's some people who enjoy it, of course. But I mean, I think those numbers compared to like last time around, I mean, as fucking terrible as things were at the end of Obama's term, I think people get no. spoiled to a degree where they kind of, I mean, I know probably I was guilty of that where, you know, Dave and I would have conversations, a friend of mine would have conversations on the phone during the Republican primaries and just, you know, drink and smoke and laugh our asses off and just be like, look at this guy. Like, this is entertaining as shit. And he was taking apart all the establishment fucks that we've hated for so well, long. The, so it was like, this is great. This whole thing. I mean, we knew he was going to be a piece of shit, and we figured he would win the the nomination for sure. We called that, like, after as soon as he entered the race and after the first debate, we thought it was a lock. But, you know, I don't know. I just, anything that we could have laughed at, it's like tonight, like I laughed a few times, but it's like, because it's so absurd. But I don't know. I just generally was like, fuck. Like, it gets so normalized so quickly where people are just like, oh, this is what politics is now. And it's like, no, Jesus Christ. I mean. You know, Mitt Romney was a terrible. I mean, he is a terrible person. I mean, this is what's so shitty about the whole situation is that it's everything just gets worse. The candidates just get worse and worse and worse every time. They just and, keep getting worse. And those who are less worse are perceived as not as worse. But everybody knows, though. Like, every, I mean, it seems like a lot of people know. I mean, at least the polling shows especially for Biden that most people are just voting for him to get rid of Trump. Like not too many people are enthusiastic about casting a no. vote for this fucking guy. Myself included, even though it's probably a foregone deal here in Indiana, I'm interested I'm going to vote for him and I'm interested to see what the fine, like I'm interested to see what the difference is between 16 and this time, you know, in places like Indiana, obviously it doesn't matter as much as Ohio or Michigan, Minnesota, even more, more so in that case. But it'll be interesting to see. Well, you'll get a sense, yeah. In other see words, if you're, if what you're, especially for like uh, Trump, see his turnouts, yeah. And then obviously, Democratic but we're not going to know the night well. of. No, of course. They kept saying all this <clears throat> shit tonight. I mean, I. Oh God, I I'm more worried. <laughs> I'm more worried about the long term than the short term. I don't. I know we just interviewed a friend of mine and a great activist and doctor who lives in the little village neighborhood of Chicago. 
um, longtime activist, organizer, union guy, uh, and, and a doctor. Um, you know, he's not alone. I mean, Chomsky, there's been a bunch of people who have been warning against what Trump might do in terms of not leaving. I, I'm still not that concerned about that in the short term. I mean, I could see a situation where it's somewhat close. He says some things like he doesn't want to leave, makes a big spectacle out of it, like giving press conferences and stuff, and leaves and says it's a sham and all the rest which could cause his supporters to go do stupid yep. things. Some of them, not all of them are going to do stuff. Some of them might go out and do some shit. Some of them might just protest, which like any protest will die down because they're not that organized yep. though. They will get funding from powerful entities. So I don't know. I, I, I mean, nobody knows for sure, but I'm not uh, that concerned about the short term. I'm more concerned with like where do things shake out by like the Christmas time? Well, I guess that is short term. Spring. I well, like spring, you know, like after we're supposed to have the inauguration, but what if the, the election's held up in court? And then election held up in court through the holidays. So imagine like Thanksgiving, there's still nobody knows who's president. And then imagine Christmas comes along and people don't know who's president. I mean, it's just going to add to, yep. you know, another <laughs> what, October, November, December, three months of covid and then three months of election anxiety. I mean, it's just like, like you said, the spring, you know, like what are, I mean, I'd assume, you know, we'd have uprisings like we just had just more intense and maybe yeah. more broad, but it doesn't seem clear to me that the people who, it doesn't seem clear to me that people will get their shit together and organize themselves in the next six to seven months that would make me believe that those uprisings or those protests or whatever will lead to anything uh, very constructive. No, it won't because the cases are probably going to go up. People are going to be hanging out inside and then they, you know, those who are hanging out and the rates go up, they'll know someone and then, you know, everyone's going to be cooked up. So for sure. And so that's, you know, that's the issue is that, Everybody's going to be cooked up, stressed out, anxious, um, and then cooped up, cooped up. Yeah. What was I saying? It's not, you might have been saying it, but it sounded like you were saying cooked up, and I was laughing. Oh, no, I was cooked, like, yeah, I was like, no. you mean everybody's going to be smoking no, crack and shit? Oozing coos, <laughs> cooked up. You you mean everybody's going to be cooked up? Everybody's <laughs> going to be smoking that crack <laughs> in oh, the winter no, time. Smoke People down. might be smoking. Oh, we might sure. be smoking crack by the winter time. Well, it depends the way this yeah, shit goes. Going on. So no, it's not. Yeah, that's not a good precedent to anything that's going to come out of it, and uh, and especially just that anger and that yeah, just just not knowing in the society where you sort of expect or pre certain things are predictable in a way uh, when you're in the position where there's it's just really unpredictable even in the you know situations that are unpredictable it's still it's extreme extremely stressful and it's actually more you know it's more uh, harmful and stressful and anxious than i would probably say anything else because not knowing what's going to happen or what's going on is worse than knowing that something's really bad going to happen, <laughs> you know. And, <clears throat> and this is, you know, and this is 
so my feeling was also like that was the idea i mean maybe not intentional but that's that seems to be like that's exactly how it turned out the debate it like it didn't it made everything very in the air very abstract not really there were some moments of clarity but those moments were you know well it's just people turned off and people just uh tuned out and yeah i mean it's just not can't listen to people argue i mean i you know i had a woman comment that i know uh comment on social media and she was just like my husband said that it's like watching two guys argue at the end of the bar yep I mean, there is a gender dynamic at play, too. I mean, it doesn't seem outrageous to say that this probably wouldn't be the case if you had two female candidates. I mean, I've never seen female professional politicians um, engage with each other like that. Mm -mm. I mean, they might have a moment where they get, you know, like any debate or whatever like kind of snarky with each other shitty with each other whatever make like a smart ass witty comment or insult but not this kind of like chest thumping type of you know kind of like trying to one-up each other like kind of get aggressive which again this was like 80 percent trump and and he's a little bit from biden but i mean he's not a politician though and that's the thing you know yeah he's a (laughs) <laughs> self-proclaimed businessman and you know deal makers so like that's and that's another thing you know people you know people in politics i mean a lot of them until they get be- better offers you know they're trying to make that as a career or trying to stay as long so i mean that you know in order to to maintain that you have to be somewhat doesn't have to be reasonable in in your ideas but in the way you present it, the presentation itself. And that's, you know, that, that, that was his whole thing about also, you know, getting the electoral votes is that he was outsider. He was something different. You know, people were tired of the same old suits, you know, kind of same old lawyers who were walking the halls and, you know, but now, like <laughs> you know, it, it's, I mean, I don't, it's, it's, well, we're going to find out if it's worn exactly. off or not. Well, that's the thing. We will. We're going to find out if that's worn off or not. It's scary. You know, I just, you know, it's something that I um, wrote up about hypernormalization, you know. Just like, <laughs> hopefully it doesn't happen, you know. Hopefully people don't just become very, and you know, it's scary because, you know. the Well, no, but nobody likes it. But see, this is the thing. This is why this is like, none of that worries me either. Because it's not like, like people... All the polls show, and just the response, I mean, they talked about it on CNN right away, like every trending response on social media was of disgust. So it's not like, you know what I mean? Like, it's like it, it happens, like it's become normalized, like in the sense that now we, people just, it goes on and there doesn't seem to be a huge protest to it. But at the same token, like most, like, very few people like what's going on. Everybody's pissed off. You know what I mean? Like, there's not, you know, as you know, I mean, we've talked about this too. I mean, since Trump's been elected, everybody's tried to use, like, these different analogies, like 1984 or Orwell or whoever else. Like, pick your dystopian novel, you know. Um, 
but nobody's under a like some kind of a trans here. I mean, to the degree you could argue that a lot of Americans are under some kind of trans of like consumerism and an entertainment culture, but it's not the same as like it's not such a strong trans that people feel as though everything else is okay or that it distracts them enough from not being angry. I mean, it's like even that's not enough because then you got to have alcohol and we know the numbers of like, you know, we have 4% of the world's population, but we're using like 80% of the world's antidepressants or whatever. So, and that doesn't mean that we're, you know, we know that people shouldn't be prescribed as much as they are. Um, but yeah, it it just seems to me that nothing like that nobody is happy. It doesn't seem to me like anybody's under a spell. It just again seems like just reading the responses and what is trending online after this, which it, that's just one reflection, but I'm assuming if you ask people at home they probably saw that. Like if I called my parents, they would also say who are 73 and 61. Oh, they'd be like what the? yeah they'd be like this is what a mess like what an embarrassment you know and that's how everybody has to feel after tonight i'm sure i mean it is embarrassing i mean and i yeah i don't know what to say i mean it's just yeah i don't know you know it's like do, i <laughs> jesus i mean is it that is it that Maybe that is the part that becomes normalized. Maybe the cynicism is the normalization. I well, don't know. Well, there hasn't been any alternative. I mean, the whole, I mean, I, I think the, the the binary world of, you know, the communists and the uh, democracy and freedom, you know, created like, put people in the state of like these two things, you know, that, that exist. And then one collapses or completely discredits and then you don't, you know, these people, Fukuyama and all them fucks, you know, coming out, end of history, end of history, you know, like, every, that's it, like, the capitalism and neoliberalism is the way to go. And so, you know, I mean, those, I, 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 I mean, I don't know how they translate into how people feel, but that also creates that idea of that, you know, what well, is, there is nothing alternative. And, you know, and a lot of people feel that way. Yeah, and so if there is no other alternative and I, you know, and I also think that's that's one of the reasons why organizing and uh being active in your community and um uh, trying to be, build connections uh and relationships with people in the community are important because when you watch something like this, you go fuck, man, like the my vote, my vote, you know. And but there's other things outside of it. <clears throat> and out of those and those things outside of it also contribute to who gets elected locally and it goes up and up and so and yeah i mean this is why i mean something that we experienced during the standing rock you know people didn't had nothing to go back to i mean one of the reasons why we opened up uh the center and so and this is yeah i think that's obviously there are people doing things and obviously we're always hey go in your community see what people are doing or get to know people and there are problems in every community and so get you know find find those 
uh, most immediate problems that you can take on and, you know, talk to your neighbors and people and trying to build something. You don't have to start a nonprofit, just, you know, just get together, you know, have your own uh, structures and organizations, you know, and trying to get things done. And But once again, you know, we need, we need a bigger vision with everything that's going on. We have a pandemic, we have the climate you know, oh yeah. well, even the best legislation, let's say this, I mean, the country would be much better off if just the best legislation offered by the Democrats were was passed. So if we took the best student loan legislation that the Democrats have proposed in the House and the best climate change uh, legislation and go on down the list, you know, labor and so on, the country would be significantly better than it is today. It wouldn't be enough to deal with the problems that we face, no. but it would be a lot better than it is. I mean, especially if you look just at like the coronavirus relief package programs, stuff like that. <clears throat> just to do that, you know, you're going to need a majority of Democrats in the House, Senate, and Biden to win, and a Supreme Court that'll be sympathetic to challenges. And then we know that the majority of Democrats won't go for progressive legislation right now. So that would require unions, student groups, yep. churches, social movements, et cetera, et cetera, to be strategic enough to go after, uh, not just to continue their ongoing organizing. So let's say a tenant tenants rights organization in a congressional district is working on, you know, tenants' rights, and let's say another union is working on, say, um, better workplace protections at the steel mill, and let's say a whatever other group is doing their thing, you know, an environmental group is trying to fight against uh, pollution um, or the dumping of toxic materials in Gary, you know, which is going on. So let's say those groups are, they continue to do their work, you know, Black Lives Matter continues to do what it does, um, though that might be a different case. But, you know, these groups continue to do their work, but then the groups would have to be coordinated enough with each other to be able to then pressure and sophisticated enough to work together without killing each other, or beating each other up too much for disagreements um, in order to press to press their congressional representatives to pass what would be just then that's just the best of the yep. uh, democratic legislation which would be again folks you know i just think it's really important to keep in mind as we're talking about this that even if joe biden gets elected and we have to keep saying this even if he gets elected that you know He's going to offer milk toast programs, and even those milk toast programs will meet heavy, heavy resistance from the right. Yep. Will meet general resistance from the corporate media, and some resistance, if not significant resistance, depending on how progressive or robust the programming is, from people within the the Democratic Party. So you know, I I just. I want us to have those kind of discussions, and I think we can do that while also addressing people's concerns about, you know, whatever they may be in terms of, like, I think a lot of the apprehension is going to be with regard to uh, 
anything like with the Democrats and electoral politics. But that protest isn't enough, I think, is an important point. Um, And there's been a segment of progressive liberal left politics that has, I think, really fetishized protest and this kind of stuff in a way that, you know, we can hear it when we talk to some people, you know, or, yeah, what they say in terms of people just kind of getting in the streets and, well, it's, I don't know, doing what, I don't know, trying to do to achieve what they don't know most of the time. But they're feeling that sense of collective sense that, you know, people are craving and just, I think, the in the lack of it and lack of um lack of it with the direction and yeah i mean i think just people craving it and there's just it there's nothing inherently wrong with it you know i mean yeah there's nothing inherently wrong i mean if people want to i don't know it how do i put this right now because things are so critical we face a lot of questions and we face a lot of tasks that I think otherwise could be maybe overlooked in different contexts other than the one we're in. But the situation is so critical right now that any amount of time you're going to spend doing anything political should be just with the utmost seriousness and discipline and and sense of strategy and so forth. And yeah, and that's I'm, rarely. I mean, that's rarely discussed, and you know, and the things that people see is usually. Well, it seems more and more. I mean, I well, I know earlier you said that you don't necessarily read Jacobin that much, but I actually think of all the left publications, movements, kind of. I don't know. They, they they're interesting because they're connected with DSA to some degree, well, to a large degree, and then also they're doing a lot of stuff with the Bernie campaign and. I, I believe you could argue that they're probably the hegemonic sort of ideological force on the left right now. On the American left right now, it definitely comes, I think, from the Jacobin crowd. And they do talk about a lot of this stuff. I mean, that and that's why I like them, because they'll have programming on, like, what is cancel culture? Is it really helpful? Like, what is a lot of this kind of shit you know or like what are we trying to do are we trying to build power like well yeah we need power now obviously it's from the perspective of socialists i believe they're trots who you know believe that the state is sort of the ultimate political tool or vehicle to get what we want and i would argue they're probably right Right. in the short term um and they seem very reasonable uh, in their political analysis in terms of trying to push revolutionary sort of radical politics, but doing it in a way that's pragmatic to Howard's point, like you need small victories before you get big victories. Yeah. So, you know, what are the type of strategic goals we can get on our way to meeting our ultimate objectives? That makes sense. Um but yeah, anyway, just to get to your point, they they do talk about some of that stuff. Like they're they're very much like critical of the bullshit, you know? Like, oh, what are we doing? Like are we just doing like symbolic stuff or like are we not going to be disciplined? Are we not going to be accountable to each other? There's a lot of that talk and I think part of that is that they're getting more and more influenced by people like McAlevey. 
And I think that that stuff is going to be really helpful. Now, the key, of course, is going to be for these people to have enough independence and critical thinking skills to decipher what works, what doesn't work, how they kind of morph it into their own ideas and stuff like that. But that's a large task for anyone. I mean, I think for the time being, though, I do think that there's a whole new wave of people on the American left who, uh, unlike when we came in, are not doing this for like some moral, higher moral reason or because it, you know, they think it's the right thing to do, but because they quite literally see the situation and they're like, if we don't properly organize, we're fucked. And I think that's a different, to me, when I take the long view, the difference in the kind of conversations that I hear on the left today compared to when I first got involved, it's just totally different. I guess it depends on what kind of, I mean, who you're talking to as well. I mean, I've been to a couple of DSA meetings and, and it was, yeah, I mean, it was pretty exhausting <laughs> and, you know. Well, like any chapters though, there's going to be ones that are fucked up, ones that are not. Yeah, it, was, it was a national thing for the organizing stuff and yeah, I mean, it, and it's obviously, it's good. People need to try things and, you know, fix things. And Well, my thing is people need to, at this point, see, because this gets to Howard's point too. Now, I don't know what, I shouldn't speak to that interview because it's decontextualized for people. So I apologize. You don't really know what I'm talking about. We were talking about the need for a broad united front. And the problem I can see is that unless good people, like Rob and I talked about this the other day, unless good people join stuff like the DSA and they make it a good organization, I don't know how fucking long it's going to take to build some kind of national anything here. So it's like it's one of the few groups that has a national structure. It has nominally at least the kind of politics that we want in the short term. Um, yeah, I mean, and they're the most serious of all the left groups that are out there. And there is no other left group that's more, that's been, I think, you know what I mean? Getting stuff done that has a left, like a clear, we're socialist. Like we know that there's other groups out there that engage in campaigns, you know, working families party and our revolution and various whatever other groups that exist out there, tenants' rights organizations. I mean, that's kind of part of what was talked about during a meeting this evening. Uh, with the local organizing body here in Michigan City, which is that, you know, it, like we've hoped for a little insight for those who are listening, we have hoped for some time that we could help influence and aid regional organizations or people, individuals or small groups of people throughout the region who could then start their own thing, carry forward, you know, start their own organization, institutions, projects, campaigns, carry them forward, et cetera. Um, that hasn't played out that way. I mean, so the point that Rob was making, and I think it's a really good point, is that unless we bring ourselves under some kind of an umbrella, now that doesn't mean that RMC stops doing its local work, but it's like unless we, unless they are forced to work with us and the good thing, again, about DSA is you have an existing structure and decision-making mechanism. So you don't have to, like, go through the, okay, what's our values? What's our vision? Blah, blah. I mean, that's, like, all that shit's taken care of. So now you're, like, are you with people who are 
putting in the time, dedicated, disciplined, accountable, all those kind of things. And I just, I, I think that's probably the same thing that's going to have to happen for the DSA nationwide. I mean, in other words, when people, because I hear you, I mean, you know, there's, and I know there's some other goofy stuff too. I'm not familiar with the whatever online thing that it was, but I mean, I'm familiar with some of the internal political disputes. But my other point to Rob was this is why you don't throw people in who haven't been around for a while into a national organization because they don't know how to navigate all those internal politics and it turns people off. You know, people see that those kind of disputes and they go, well, I don't have time for this or this is, you know, who the fuck wants to be around a bunch of people arguing about shit when, you know, the world's falling apart. People are arguing over like petty ideological differences. Um, yeah, people just don't have time for that. And this is my point though, is that unless working class people, poor people take over those kind of organizations, same with unions. I mean, unless working class, really working class people take over unions, you'll just have these goofball sort of liberal professional class, middle class, upper middle class people who are making decisions and running the show and their lives in the short term really don't depend on any of that. No. So they just don't, they're just not operating with the same sense of urgency or anything like that. Well, and that's what we did for tenants organizing right away, went to national organizations and we plugged in straight into a national organization that works around the country and have groups who are connected through this entity that already has things in place that way we don't have to come up with anything and they have everything from manuals how to start a tenants unit and how to do different actions how to do different things yeah and so yeah that was the primary i mean for me it's it's always been like how do we how do we build this fractured not yeah fractured but like you have all these different organizations and obviously the nonprofit. Uh, industrial complex has to play with it but still you have these different organizations who are doing the same or similar work and that yet yet they, they're not communicating they're not you know well some of them are fighting for funding correct you know so. and some of them see each other's competition yep. but i mean beyond i agree that i mean it's good that any kind of local organizing effort if it can, can be somehow connected to larger organizing efforts will probably be more successful. But I mean, the need for a political organization with a clear, so a, a larger political vision, I think is the, what more of what I mean specifically, you know, like if you don't have a larger body that people can plug into that can explain to them, capitalism, imperialism, white supremacy, how all of those things are connected, patriarchy, uh, environmental devastation and then how that's connected to like why would we care about medicare for all how are we going to actually asking people the question how do you think we're going to provide people medicare or i'm sorry health care in the united states and if they're on the left and they say well we want everyone to have health care well that means that you know we need to come up with a plan to provide it that plan is medicare for all unless you think whatever they think they're going to do, create entities larger and more powerful than the state who can administer healthcare to 350 million people. But we know that's not realistic. So it's like, that's like one thing though, you know, where it's like, okay, so we, we have to first come to the conclusion that you're not going to get healthcare just through protesting in the streets, unless you have a strategic plan to force the Medicare for all bill to be passed. 
that it becomes legislation and the state can implement it. And then remain also understand that you have to remain engaged enough after it's passed to make sure it's implemented properly. But then simultaneously, other things that need to happen, you know, like whatever that's protecting and expanding union rights or whatever. It's like people understanding all of this stuff is important and not just whatever, you know, this thing. You know what I mean? And that's why a group like DSA can be helpful because it provides a structure for people that's beyond just, oh, you're a worker, oh, you're a tenant, or oh, you're a student, or whatever it is. You're a single mother. It's like, no, all these issues are connected. The mechanism that can provide immediate aid for you is the state. The way we're going to do that is by redistributing wealth from rich people to poor people and working class people who need it. So we can abolish your debts. So you can have, you know, access to healthcare, access to quality education, all those types of things. And that, I don't know that, that if you don't have a national organization who can do that, and if you don't have groups that are plugged into something like that, you get this kind of goofy left that we have right now in the United States where, you know, you get like these anarchist groups and then anarcho libertarians and then, you know, these sectarian left groups and, then you get the liberal groups who a lot of these people actually are more progressive than they lead on, but they don't really think any of that's going to fly with people, you know, and then you get the progressives who really have no connection or don't know, you know, what they're going to do with like labor or workplace organizing or poor and working class people. Cause a lot of people in the progressive movement come from sort of the middle upper middle class professional yeah. class of white people. And I don't know. Yeah. It, not that I should stop saying I don't know. I um, If regular, ordinary folks don't get involved, these are the type of people who are just going to keep running things. So, I mean, and then we're really going to be fucked because these people don't have our same immediate interests. But I think that that's also being talked about. I mean, I've never heard people before now talk about the professional class and the way that they're talking about it. People are really starting to see that there's like a, yes, there's the 1%, but there's a whole class in between, you know, who Albert calls the coordinator class, that that's who people actually interact with day to day. Like nobody actually meets Lockshley Middle, the guy who, well, I guess they used to own Middle Steel because it's been sold yeah. now. But, um, like nobody ever meets him. No. You know. But who do you meet? Like you meet your foreman or you meet your middle manager no. who oversees you at the job site. That's like what we have. There's a lot of middle managers no. in charge of shit. Well, Wait. now they're coming out with the new um uh, new layer of management for um workers who are working from home to coordinate them. Mm. Yeah, but that's what managers do. Well, no, it's yeah, but they're they're managers do when they're in the office, so it's a little bit different. So now they're they're hiring people who are able to who have either experience or have strategies of how to coordinate people through internet and like through these uh, from work at home. But that, that, but I'm saying it's not a different like. Albert would argue it's kind of in the words that you use, like they're 
the coordinator class. It's just manager, yeah. That's what they do. That's like quite literally what the whole class does. Their whole purpose is to coordinate between the two. Yeah, I don't know. Those people are, uh, well, those are the people who are, they're relying on the whole election form. I mean, these are the people in the suburbs and the upper middle class who the Democrats are expecting. And they're probably right. I mean, I agree with some other of our friends who, you know, assume the Democrats are probably right to uh, play that. I mean, you saw, obviously, Bernie, you know, he went out on a limb and he was like, okay, we're going to do this. And he saw, oh, shit, my movement is not quite yep. what I hoped it would be. So they definitely don't want to play that mistake again and expect mm-hmm. that a bunch of these left-wing people are going to come out. And and to be honest with you, as much as it upsets us that Biden just shit all over the Green New Deal and all this stuff, I don't think it matters to most no. people. I think most people heard that exchange about climate change and thought to themselves, here's one guy who thinks it's not real or who won't admit that it's real. And here's another guy who thinks we should do something about it. And he lists off a bunch of things we should do about it. That seems to be one of the biggest reasons people should vote for him. I mean, climate change alone seems to be one of the biggest ones. You can't, yeah. You, you can't just, just gut no. all these environmental agencies no. and regulatory agencies, and no. it's catastrophic. But I hope people are at least thinking about what they would, what they're gonna do, what they'd want to do, because as we know too, I mean, it's not like things are gonna be totally planned out and nicely coordinated. Things will be messy. To a large degree. So even if people fight back. It'll be messy. So. How much can you educate people. And influence people from now until. uh, Spring. (laughs) April or May. You know. No I mean. You know I mean. Trying to do it for you know. Takes time and. But once again it takes also. It takes relationships in the community. Because you're not just going to trust someone you don't know. And that's, yeah, it's, uh, and obviously in the society that's extremely isolated and, uh, yeah, it's, yeah, I mean, look, the, the, um, Obviously, you could do a lot of shit with the interwebs, but like they, like Sarah was talking about during a uh, meeting earlier, a mutual friend of ours, you know, people been coming out in inclement weather. I mean, so when you're dealing with issues that are as serious as people's immediate needs, like are you going to get kicked out of your house or not, or your apartment, turns out people are willing to come to... uh meetings about organizing and coming up with plans, even in inclement weather. So that's a good sign, but it's not surprising I mean, when things get to be like that. I mean, I would assume that we should be operating like that on most issues anyway, but that too takes a certain level of political consciousness. It's not like you just automatically understand the importance of the Supreme court or 
the opposite view, which is that if you get too jacked up on sort of left-wing ideology, you can argue that the Supreme Court doesn't matter. Well, and when you talk to people. that the Constitution doesn't matter. And when you talk to people, I mean, you know, you know what you're talking about. Are you, if, if a person doesn't know that subject, particular subject, and you're telling them something that you're not sure of, or, you know, that's why the education is extremely important, whether it's self-education, popular education, you know, whatever, either one way or another, it's extremely important. Yeah, we should think about coming up with some more educational programming for the, uh, not that we haven't been doing plenty, but I mean, we should come up with like different subjects or maybe focus on themes or Mm -hmm. who knows. I mean, we're going to have a lot of time in the cold months. So, I mean, I want to, as we've talked about before, be as productive as we can. And I have a feeling that a lot of people are going to be searching and looking for alternative forms of media and they're going to be looking for people who are serious and i think you know i I sort of believe that you'll get even more people out doing things generally i am not necessarily an optimistic person and i'm not necessarily uh, filled with any sense of hope for the future in fact one of the I have to reply to a thoughtful comment on social media that this woman left because I was just thinking of the Supreme Court and thinking I really don't want anyone who believes in a higher power to serve on the court. And my thinking behind that is not, you know, she had made the point, you know, there's really nice people who are good, thoughtful people who are religious people, and I agreed with her. Of course there is. Some of them are our friends or family members, or whoever they may be. The problem for me isn't that there, it's twofold with religion or belief that there's a higher power. One is that it could lead people to believe that there's some other force outside of what they do that will influence things, which is in and of itself scary and could worrisome because that could... Well, yeah. Well, it could... I mean... It could be with anything, though. I mean, you think of the the worst implications are when you're thinking about it in the context of climate change. If you believe that there's another force out there that could influence the way things turn out, maybe you don't put in as much effort as you would otherwise. Conversely, if you believe in religion and things are going very badly maybe you think to yourself, well, at least after this life, I'll go somewhere else and it'll be really nice. Which again, could lead you to not put in as much effort as you normally would, or otherwise would, sorry. Uh, If you didn't believe that there was somewhere you were going to go after this life. And that, those two thoughts to me are, way, and I, you know, you could, of course, how this manifests and, you know, whatever, going after reproductive rights or all the rest. I mean, how it manifests legally and politically is, is horrific, but it's dangerous fundamentally to me in terms of then these people are supposed to be in some of the most powerful positions in government institutions in this country. 
and they're going to make choices that impact generations if there are generations of people in this country uh, and they could be making those decisions as they're kneeling by their bedside at night asking who for guidance exactly this to me is as frightening and this is where I break with the left and I probably side much more with and this will pain people to hear this but I probably side more with these sort of liberal, I'm not one of the, you know, I know Bill Maher, Christopher Hitchens, Richard Dawkins. I know all of these guys are pieces of shit. I don't want to identify myself with them or with Sam Harris or any of those people, but I do think that they, I shouldn't call them just pieces of shit. I mean, they, they're just, you know, some of their politics is just really bad, but, um, I do generally agree with their views on religion. I mean, just generally. Oh, yeah. I, I think that it's a real, real problem. Now, again, that doesn't mean that I don't know people who are really wonderful people who are very religious people. And, and as I've argued over the years, I've also met a lot of really great religious people in the anti-war movement who have put in way more time and effort to creating a world with less war and militarism and mm-hmm. violence than many of the devout atheists that I know. So I try, Quakers, you know, Mennonite. Yeah. Quakers, Mennonites. Exactly. Um, so I don't know, you know, it's like, I, I don't want to cast too broad of a stroke. However, I do think for me, it's quite clear and has been for a while, and I've laid off the religious stuff since the Bush years because it just doesn't seem politically to make much sense, though now I think it makes sense in the context of a pandemic with Trump in office, you know, rising right-wing forces around the world. Yeah, I think it makes a lot of sense for us to be very, very critical. And it also coincides with this growth of social media, which also coincides with this growth, growth, excuse me, of conspiracy theories. So you have all of these things converging at once, which to me looks a hell of a lot like some counter enlightenment shit. Well, it's funny because I was reading, uh, I was reading some, doing some research today, and um, one of the first uh, real uh, conspiracy theories was written in 1846 by this Russian guy who used to be a Jew, and then he transitioned to Orthodoxy, and he wrote this, the Protocol. And the protocol was basically this um, conspiracy theory that the Jews are uh, control, like on the international level, controlling things. And from that, and that went to United States. Ford was publishing it in the twenties. Um, no, and it was interesting. And you know, and the scariest thing, adding to those two points that you made. I mean, the thing is that the fires and the climate change not only in terms of like oh well i die i go somewhere but it's more of like oh this is the rapture like this is what you know the scripture wrote about so not only it it actually in the way motivates people to reinforce those things that are happening and you know it's like oh things are burning or you know the things are melting the floods the you know the burning the crops and all that stuff i mean that if you're really deep into that stuff and you extremely yeah i mean that's 
that's like that's that kind of thing that you're looking forward to, right? Like you're waiting for the second coming. You're waiting the for question, that event. You know? That's the question with Trump and the evangelicals. I mean, the, the, see, that's I mean, it's a point that our friend uh, Angry Johnny makes, and I, I think I might agree with him here. I don't know how deep any of that is. So the polls show that you're right. The polls show that we have a significant number of Christians in the United States who believe in some really wild shit, including the second coming and the rapture. Johnny's point coming from a family with people who are quite religious, not necessarily immediate family, but all just whoever it might be, um, would argue, I think, at least as I understand him, as we've had this conversation in the past, that the views of many of these religious people is sort of like surface deep. That they might say to someone, I believe in all this stuff, but when you really look at their personal lives, how they behave, how they oh. sort of interact with the world, that they actually don't practice this Correct. in any kind of a real way. And this may be coming out most evidently with uh, Trump in office, of course. We knew that the evangelicals were hypocritical before, but after this sort of charade of, of supporting Trump and all the rest, I mean, this is just to try and put up any kind of like moral you know, shield or anything to protect yourself is just going to be absurd. So I wonder if he's right in that way. I mean, I wonder, in other words, let's say those fires were ripping through Alabama and Mississippi or Tennessee and Oklahoma and Texas where there's a disproportionate number of evangelical white Christians. Not too many of them are going to just sit in their backyard and be like, God has come to take Oh, me. no, no, no. Do you know what I mean? Like, no. most of these people are going to be like, oh, like, where's the fireman at? Like, I want to go to the YMCA in the next town over so I can survive. Like, And then crying and being like, you know, oh, my God, I don't want to die. I mean, this is the other thing that I find amazing about the religious people is a lot of the religious people really have a rough time when people die. And they really have a rough time when uh, they're around people who are dying or anything like this. They have this very, you know, I find it very interesting. Because when I see religious people freak out about people dying, I think to myself, of course, and this isn't like a petty, smart-ass point I'm making here. Like, I, I genuinely, this all gets back to, do these people genuinely believe what they say, they, what they profess to believe? And I don't know if that's true. I mean, I think the way that they respond to death, I think the way that these people have responded to Trump, I think the way that they respond to any number of scenarios that have unfolded, you know, including hurricanes that continue to smash the southeast of the country, the Gulf Coast, where a lot of evangelicals live, right-wing Christians. Yeah, it's like they're not standing on that beach. No, you know no, I mean? but that's, I mean, those are like little, I mean, I, I mean, I haven't read that stuff in a long time, but it's, it's like the whole process. It's like a step by step and there are specific signs that, you know, they'll let you know what's going on, what stage it's going on. We should have stuff. our friend Derek on to talk about this. We should, because He's that's. Our resident atheist and theo, quasi theologian. Yeah, yes. Well, as you know. I don't know if he'll feel comfortable. We might. What we'll do is we'll bring him under a pseudonym. Yep. 
Maybe but you already, could, yeah. Maybe we could find a way to. to uh, no, I mean, there's a million Derricks actually. I mean, we got actually a handful yeah, of Derricks that we know, true. so nobody knows which Derek yeah. we're talking about. Um, Hell yeah, we could change his voice too. But yeah, I was gonna say we could change yeah. the voice and and give him a pseudonym, and then we can have this discussion because of his his knowledge. Because atheists are yeah. well versed in multitude of religions, therefore. I think it would be good to talk with him about it because at this, in the same token, I find that there is some use for people to think about things. I, I mean, I think there's use for like myth and story and uh, symbolism and ritual and fantasy. And I, I just don't think it should guide your, public policy no. is all it's become a reality <laughs> so that was my point I, I you know it has a place like anything has its place I mean, you can't just live and been thinking a lot about storytelling because of the stuff we've been reading and watching lately and if you can use fantasy to highlight truths about our lives this is greater to ask bigger questions about our existence that's a really great thing and we should do it, and there's a place for it, and there's a place for religion and spirituality or whatever it may be, but it's just not deciding public policy. At least that's what I think. No, 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 no. I don't, yeah. So that was the other issue. I forgot that I wanted to talk about that, but it definitely was something I wanted to bring up because I'm thinking again a lot about religion and have been for the last six months because of the way people have responded to this. Some people you know so again i mean we you know our marxist friends would argue that these are largely driven by economics but at the same time any number of factors go into determining how people interpret any number of situations so it's like with religion like you've got people out there who are processing this to whatever degree so kind of adding nuance to Johnny's point, to whatever degree they're processing or the the religious influence is helping them process the situation, we don't know. Like maybe it's kind of coloring their exist their how they're viewing this. Maybe it's totally directing how they're viewing this. There's probably no way to gauge that, but to the degree that it is doing so. Depends how they interpret it, mm-hmm. who who interprets it for them what church they go to, what kind of message the church is sending, what kind of message they're getting while they're reading the Bible, you know, who yeah. they're listening to, what they're watching. To. Well, it's all, it's all to me very similar. I mean, if I watch, like watching some snake oil salesman on like late night evangelical TV selling a prayer rag isn't dissimilar to services I've been to in the past that are just, they could be dressed up in Latin but they're all the stories are similar, and the stories are there's somebody looking out for you, whether you're Baptist, Methodist, Catholic, Protestant. There's somebody out there that has power more than human beings, and there's somebody out there. So I'm just sort of getting to like the fundamentals of this. That that all of them share fundamental traits. One of them is that there's somebody, there's entities out there that influence our world that are not of this world. And that at its core for me is sort of the, the main point. Now, how a Protestant 
interprets that compared to a Methodist or a Universalist or a Catholic or whatever, uh, it's not particularly of my interest, but the fact that all of them believe that there's things out there that are not of this world, to me is, this is probably what makes me most planted in like, um, you know, whatever you want to call it, enlightenment, post-enlightenment, humanism, that whole strain of thought. Because anything outside, UFOs, of, huh? anything outside of that scares the living shit out of me. It really does. And, yeah, we've got... Because there's all these people. I mean, it drives me fucking nuts. I had a nice buzz when we started. Now I'm not buzzed at all. I'm just like... Now I'm like, I'm actually fucking pissed about these religious people. I know we got to end the program soon, but I... Yeah, no, I'm like, I'm, I'm actually like really frustrated because I've seen people on the progressive left who are also defending this shit where they're like, oh, don't say anything about this uh, Amy, whatever the fuck her name is, who's going to be on the Supreme or who Trump just nominated. It's like, well, no, don't say she's in a cult, like stay away from criticizing her religion. No, fuck you. And this is where I agree with the liberals like Mar and others. It's like, no, fuck you. Everything's on the table. <laughs> You know, like, what? don't say anything about a religion. Don't call it a cult. Like, people saying all this goofy shit. Like, I've had well-adjusted students who were a part of this religion. Like, yeah, well, there was, like, serial killers who were well-adjusted to going to work. Like, what are you fucking talking about? Like, does this person believe in evolution or not? And if you don't, like, that, I don't know what to do with you. I don't think that we should just kill you. I don't think we should throw you in jail. But I do think that it's a major problem, and I do think it will have implications for how we can fucking construct our society. And I think we're watching this shit play out right mm -hmm. now, where people can't even interpret very basic information about a fucking virus, a virus that's not even that deadly compared to previous pandemics. I don't know, man. Anyway, what else you got? What else you gonna you want? So, what you got? You got a last parting issue that you wanna that you uh, wanna talk uh, about? You feel good over there? Yeah, I'm feeling. Well, as <laughs> good as good as it can be, um, with everything that's going on. But yeah, no, I mean, I, how was that wine? I'm, uh, you know, I mean, I, I, uh, yeah, religion. Played only, um, well, you, yeah, you come back, you come from a Catholic background too. You went to Catholic school for a little while. Yeah, I, I didn't really. I mean, I had some exposure when I would come home from the military. They would go to this church, but I think we were just seeking community that we didn't didn't have here when we came here. I uh, even with the people that um, close to us, but otherwise, yeah. I mean, it's I, you know, my grandmother was a staunch. Uh, atheist so but no i mean it's it's uh no it's extremely disturbing i actually had a i took a geology class at the texarkana texas when i lived there at a community college and uh, uh first was it first or second day we had this old old lady she was probably in her 60s and she was taking a geology class which is a props for her but one of the days she raised her hand and she uh, asked the teacher, the professor, well, she's like, oh, what do you mean by what you said? Because my priest told me that earth is only four and a half thousand years old and shit mm -hmm. like that. 
So <laughs> I remember it was right. just like each person in class, which was actually a good thing. Each person in class kind of took turn of approaching it as well as the professor. And that way it made kind of like a community thing, like a communal thing, everybody around her. Now, does it mean that it changed her mind? I don't know, but uh, I don't remember the outcome. But yeah, she stuck through the course and we went and we, you know, so... No, it's pretty, uh, yeah, it was it was pretty intense because I, yeah, I think that was my first uh, first experience with that sort of uh, thinking. Um, but no, it's scary, especially when people are in power and they're making decisions for other people and for the world. Well, for the world, really, because let's, you know. Well, it's scary when people are making decisions for their kids. Well, I mean, at the most personal level it's scary yeah. so if you have parents out there who are refusing to vaccinate their children because of crazy religious beliefs murders if you have you know parents out there who are refusing to allow their teenage daughter to get an abortion because uh, they're religious i mean these kind of things are so destructive at every level in my opinion and it doesn't mean that every person who's religious would not allow their daughter excuse me to get a an abortion it's just to say that people who believe in those sort of things or would be disproportionately inclined to not allow that to happen as we see politically play out in the country. You know, there's literally tens of millions of people in this country who would take to the streets in protest or in support of overturning Roe v. Wade. Like there's, they're mo like these people can mobilize. Yep. So in any case, I believe that's all the that is it depression the debate <laughs> debate overview debate overview <laughs> plus talk of religion. What yeah. else did we talk about slip, so we can come up with a decent title? Slip into things. Uh, we talked about the debates. We talked about the religion. Uh, we talked about the climate. We talked about the. Um, we'll just we'll just say debates and religion. In any case, we could probably also talk about this off air. So, yeah. Thank you for yeah, listening. Check yeah. us out at www.parc. No, wait. What is it? prcmedia.org. Media.org. I'm sorry. www.parcmedia.org. Check us out. We're also going to be on Amazon as well. We just uh, sent the thing in. So it's processing. So we're on Spotify, subscribe. iTunes, and Amazon. Yeah, subscribe to Spotify. Apple iTunes, Amazon, and YouTube channel. Yep. And we'll talk to you soon. Peace.